Makers of Sport Podcast, episode 87, with Olivia Brestel. And welcome to episode 87 of the Makers of Sport podcast. I'm your host, Adam Martin, at T. Adam Martin on Twitter. Well, happy new year, everyone. 2016 was interesting, to say the least. Uh, If you're new to the podcast, welcome. I'm very happy to have you. If you've been around a while, you know that missing episode numbers and your podcast player are content for community members only. To learn more about the community, head over to makersofsport.com slash community or check out episode 65, where I discuss the launch of the community and its benefits. Speaking of, I do have some announcements about some changes I'm making with the community at the end of this episode. Now on to today's business. On this episode, I'm very happy to welcome my first guest of 2017 to the podcast. She's a multi-talented creative that I would put at the top of American soccer's best when it comes to design and art direction and photography. Olivia Brestel, senior designer and photographer for Major League Soccer's Sporting KC is joining me. Olivia has spent much of her post-grad career working in the soccer business from the Chicago Red Stars to FC Dallas and now to Sporting KC. Olivia's work combines photography, art direction, typography, and design to create compelling work in America's version of the beautiful game. Welcome to the show, Olivia. Happy New Year. Thank you. You too. So uh, at this point, I like to just give guests an opportunity to just sort of give us a bird's eye view of their journey. So why don't you give us a rundown of your path from school. Uh, I mean, you can include childhood if there's anything relevant in regards to art and soccer or design or whatever. Uh, And then just your path that led you to Sporting KC. Yeah. um, I mean, growing up in the Midwest, they kind of say it's soccer capital. I think I played soccer starting in kindergarten and all the way through eighth grade. I played some in indoor uh, in high school. And I, I played every sport possible. And I remember I was always doodling as a kid. So I guess I don't really know if I saw that as my future career, but I'm really happy that it it worked out that way. Um, grew up in St. Louis, and I didn't, I guess you could say I was kind of late to the, I guess, design game. Uh, I went to Loyola in Chicago for college, and I was actually a advertising and public relations major. Um, so I started taking those types of classes, um, media planning, just PR 101, that type of thing, press release writing. And one of the kind of extracurricular classes they wanted us to take was um, visual design. And it was all computer-based. They were going to teach us Photoshop, Illustrator, InDesign, just kind of touch on them. And I went in the class... With an open mind, I, I'd always loved drawing and doodling, and but I'd never taken it to the computer. Um, and I just, I, I instantly fell in love. I, I had this knack for the grid system, the dreaded grid system that they always teach you. And it kind of just evolved from there. I, I took uh, visual design 102, 103. I just kept going and learning more. And so I added a visual communications minor. 
Um, so I was able to take more of those classes. Uh, and then that actually kind of snowballed into photography courses. You know, the old film actually have to dip it in the chemicals. That yeah, type of stuff. yeah, I remember um, that. Old, old the dark school, room old stuff. Yes, I. Yeah, I remember we had a closet that you had to go into, and and I dropped my film one time, and yeah, you know, I couldn't find it. I mean, it was oh, just like uh, yeah. <laughs> it crazy. was pitch black, and I dropped it, and I think I ruined a a film <laughs> strand. I don't even know what you call it anymore, or two. Yeah. Um, Makes you appreciate digital, though, right? <laughs> I, I I hated it in class only because there were like thirty other people in the dark room with you. But whenever I would just kind of go do it for fun on the weekends, it's actually kind of an awesome feeling. It sounds nerdy, like an awesome feeling seeing your your photo appear on the paper. Yeah, I just didn't like doing anything on the weekends in college. That's true. <laughs> when it came to sport, like studio stuff. <laughs> when you live in Chicago, I I took my camera everywhere and took photos. Yeah. Um. So that that kind of I was a little late to the game. I I know. A lot of designers and illustrators, they've been kind of honing their craft, it seems, for years and years. And I like to call myself a, a jack-of-all-trades or well-rounded, where I, I feel like I know just enough of a little bit of everything to get by. Um, I think that's a good thing. It, it's, it's a really weird, we're at a really weird place where specialization is like so big where say mm -hmm. like oh people just do recruiting graphics like just speaking specifically to sport um, right. or like even in big startups like people go to Facebook and they only work on UI but for me even where I, I've just always been curious and interested in multiple things and it's always a pleasure for me when I find other people that are too because it's kind of mm -hmm. like oh you're like me and mine right. is, mine's not necessarily ever been photography I mean I like photography but for me it's like v basically visual design branding and like UI UX Mm-hmm. Yeah, I follow I, I wish I I wish I could call myself an illustrator. I'm I'm just dumbfounded by some of the people's styles. Um I followed Mikey Burton for a while. Yeah. Um he's he he's a really good iconist, is that a word? He's really good at, at the icon icon design. And I've always been kind of jealous of people that have like when you see their artwork, I can like I can call it out immediately. I know who they are. Right. Just by by their style. Yeah, no, I mean, that makes sense. But I think that you've, uh, like, uh, I think you've kind of developed your own style a little bit. I mean, just from the stuff that I've seen, um, especially from, like, a photography perspective, just following you on Instagram, like, I can sort of tell mm -hmm. uh, what's yours. There's, It's hard to describe, but it's just, like, there's an aesthetic to it that, I don't know, are, like, these, <laughs> if it's, like, just, if there's almost, like, a a blue hue or something to everything. It's, it's, yeah, I, I started doing that because, I mean, as a designer, I you know we we think as as a brand. So I almost all my friends make fun of me for this. I always kind of try and make myself a brand. So I downloaded Visco and I have Visco on my on my phone, and I, I'll usually edit photos with the same filter, the same the same everything. Yeah, well, I mean, it, you know, it makes sense because that is essentially creating a brand. And and honestly, like when you are, I don't know why, why there's like a negative connotation all that in terms of like, oh, your personal brand, because the reality is you are a personal brand, like period. I mean, especially just in your career. But I think where you get in trouble is like, you know, I don't want my friends and family to define me as a designer, right? I mean, I have other right. interests, like I coach youth soccer and youth basketball and and that type of stuff. So I'm like known completely different in that world than say this world. Right. And that's what's kind of fun about being a sport designer 
is uh, you can kind of, you can get that art side of you, but you cannot that sports fanatic side of you also comes out. Yeah, absolutely. So I did see, and I know that we kind of broke up your your story here, but we'll sort of tell it as we go, I guess. <laughs> because mm-hmm. I, I just I'm a talker, obviously I'm a podcaster. So, um, but I didn't know that uh, that the Midwest was considered like the soccer capital. That's news to me. It I know uh, in the recent news with St. Louis having a big push for an MLS team. Yeah. Um, I traveling around, traveling to Dallas. Dallas is a big soccer area. Texas in general, um, but you know I've you know friends all over the United States, and I kind of ask like, oh, what did you do growing up? And they're like, oh, I, no, I didn't play soccer. We only had soccer, you know, starting in seventh grade. Yeah. And it was just kind of it was kind of weird to me because all I can remember when I was little was soccer, soccer, soccer. I know some big games have been hosted there, and a lot of good players have come out of St. Louis. Yeah. Well, uh, like around here, um, living in Lexington, uh, in the Lexington sort of metro area, uh, surprisingly, Kentucky actually has a really big soccer scene. Um, the University of Kentucky uh, was a t- is it the men's team's a top twenty five program, and University of Louisville went to like the elite eight in the uh, men's NCAA. And then we actually just had a girl from UK who got invited to uh, the women's national team training camp. So there's like, uh, and, and like around here, especially my particular county, I don't know what it is, but soccer has always been number one here. Like they're the mm-hmm. most, uh, they are like our, we have fantastic facilities for a public school uh, where I went to school and the, and the football facilities and everything are great, but we never could field football teams that were very good. Is like all the best people played soccer. And I remember being like, <laughs> I remember being younger and you know, you see some older person and you're like, and it's like, instead of sort of like that small town athlete that was like, oh, they were a football star. I was like, oh yeah, that, that person was all state in soccer or like, that's an all state goalkeeper over there. Like, you know, whatever. Uh-huh. And it's, it's crazy. Like even the club teams around here, uh, now that I'm sort of getting into the club stuff a little bit because my kid's seven, mm-hmm. uh, my oldest son is seven, and like our kids from our town are like flooding all these clubs. <laughs> and I, I don't know what I it know. is. It's like we just we get them in when they're like three, and then they just it's the first sport they play and they just they stick with it. Right. Yeah. I don't. I don't. I don't know. I just. I just know that a lot of prominent people grew up playing soccer in the Midwest, and I know SLU. Over the river in St. Louis, it's a it's a hotbed for soccer. Yeah, well, and actually, um, and and the reason why I bring up Kentucky is because Kentucky is sort of like a it's a weird state where it's like culturally really identifies with the South, but like from a location perspective, it's sort of you know Midwest a little bit, like the deep right. South. We're, we're just like we don't know where we belong because uh, right. the deep South <laughs> doesn't consider us the South, and like the Midwest, like the true Midwest, like you know you guys out there aren't considering Kentucky the Midwest. <laughs> No, um, you guys are the South. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know, there's a little bit of influence from both, and I, I know that uh, I know that uh, Cincinnati's really striving to get a, a club team or, or an MLS club up there. Yeah, and uh, I think Indianapolis too. Indy Eleven. Oh, um, really? I know they've always been in the talks as well. Well, I hope to see it happen because um, I want to have a, a an MLS team around here to go support. <laughs> there you go. Uh, well, kind of moving on, uh, you know, we were talking about um, photography, and I mean, again, I, your photography is is great. I love it. Um, but 
who who sort of inspires your work? Like, where do you? I mean, you mentioned developing your style from like a branding perspective, but is there anybody that that's out there that you're like, I I admire that work, and you sort of just like maybe subconsciously put all this stuff together? Hmm. Um. I don't know if there's one person with with Instagram these days. You you can follow all types of all types of photographers. Um, as far as sport photography, I guess it was more of a team that. In the past few years, the Galaxy had had really taken on and owned photography, um, and I would consider them one of the top teams to have in-house photography in MLS. And being interested in it for years, and just kind of having the eye, I'm kind of always looking at the world in this weird little four by six box. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I just I kind of see the angles, and I saw what they were doing, and I was like, we could do that. I, I just need the equipment, and and we could definitely knock this out. And so at Dallas, that was one thing that I really tried to own is sport photography because you would go on USA Today, and they're, they shoot, I guess you could call it more editorial-type mm-hmm. photos. Um, we use a lot of their shots uh, you know, for cutting out, for using for graphics and stuff. Right. But there was no one that really shot storytelling, compelling photos. Yes. Um, where it's not just a play, a, sh- a shot of the players celebrating the goal, but it's kind of zoomed out with the players having scored the goal. You get the ball in the back of the net. You get the player behind them, with, you know, the goalie with the sad look on his face, that type of photography. Yeah. Where you don't necessarily need three paragraphs of type to explain what's happening. Totally. And there's, there's a, there's, I don't know if it's, there's like an intrinsic or like an intuitive, there's like an intuitiveness to that, that like, you know, you get these sort of like news sports photographers that go and it's just like crank, 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 crank it out, you know? Mm -hmm. And then like, you see these people like yourself and then uh, like Miami, uh, the, in football, uh, the dolphins, Oh, their photos are phenomenal. You know, and it's like, hey, like we're, you're paying attention to cropping things. You're paying attention to the story. Uh, you're bringing in a consistent sort of visual aesthetic. And that to me, I mean, that, I mean, even just from an artistic person like myself, it really draws me in. But I'd have to imagine that it draws in fans and stuff. And, and I think in this world of sports where everything is just so fickle, mm-hmm. um, like, for people to pay, Miami like is not a good football team. Let's be honest, right? But like for people, no. <laughs> for them to be at the top, I, I mean, this is the reality. Most there's a lot of people in sports that are at the top of the game in terms of being followed and stuff just because the team's good, right? Mm-hmm. And that's a Absolutely. reality. <laughs> and it makes you wonder, like, hey, if this person was at a mid-major college or if they were at like one of the lower lower end professional teams, would they would people be paying attention? Absolutely. And I kind of from from the the photographer, I guess. Artist perspective. When I when you think when I think of good teams, honestly, the first teams that I think of are Miami and the Minnesota Vikings do a fabulous job with their Instagram, and the 49ers do another. They are also really good at their yeah. graphics and photography. Right. Yeah, it's weird how uh, being in the creative side of sports sort of shapes your sort of ideals on who is actually doing good stuff. <laughs> Because uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, I'll see things and I'll be like, "Oh, well, that's really not that good." That you just work right. for, you just have a big audience. And how much of your audience is just like, you know, crazy sports fans versus people that are aesthetically into this stuff? Right. And 
I uh, I think it's Jeremy Jeremy Darlow. Is that his name? Yeah. The Brands mm-hmm. Build Championships books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was on here. I had him on here a while back. Uh, my friend bought the book, and so I read the first few chapters, and it was. I think the heavens opened up when I was reading it because I was trying to explain to people for years that you know just because your team isn't number one or top of the standings every year doesn't mean that you know your look and design have to take the hit too. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, he took he took what was essentially high level concepts and sort of put them in term, terminology and in words that people that don't really understand it from even an intuitive level. Uh, mm-hmm. Intuitive intuition level uh, are able to understand like uh, athletic directors and marketing people and stuff like that. But I mean, essentially, the stuff that he wrote, it's been around forever. Like if you if you really pay attention to the big global branding firms like Wolf Olins or um, uh, or like Landor and sort of these corporate identity firms, like they've all been sort of doing this stuff forever. But it's just yeah. it's always been more. Uh, it's kind of been a secret, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not well, not necessarily a secret, but it's 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 been talked about in a grandiose vocabulary. Yeah, it's one of those things that you don't really notice until someone says it. Yeah, and and like you know, the, when you see articles written on, it, and you know, granted, I tend to have a, a bad uh, habit of writing in this style too, but it's just because I read so much and you just pick up so many words and you want to use them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but there's uh, you know, just to be able to put it into sort of layman's terms and to help people understand. Now, granted, I do think that it can like water down some stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, cause if every, like everybody that read that book, it's almost like everybody's trying to be everybody else. <laughs> right. <laughs> it, or the examples that are used or whatever. <laughs> right. And sometimes it just doesn't work. I mean, uh, think about like what whatever Oregon football does, they could basically do anything and get away with it because their brand is that they don't really have a brand. It's just sort of like right. we're always pushing the envelope. But you can't it's whatever go, the next flashy thing is. Yeah, but you, do it. But you can't go to like uh, uh, LSU or like an Alabama and do what they're doing. You can't. I mean, if you did no. it, people would lose their minds because <laughs> it's right. just not part of your brand. You have a history, and the whole point is Oregon did that because they didn't have a history in like college. Football. No tradition. I mean, not that they didn't have traditions, but I think you mentioned in the book Notre Dame. Like, you can't take a, dr- a traditional school like Notre Dame and change up the uniform without having a ton of backlash. Oh yeah, and I'll be I'll be honest. I mean, I think Adidas actually messed up when they did that because they actually went and did that some with some crazy. Things and I mean I get it because they were sort of having some down years and it was like let's let's get excitement back but you know the people that watch Rudy <laughs> aren't aren't into that you know <laughs> they're crying they're <laughs> yeah they're they're hugging onto their old Letterman jackets yeah yeah so your your first gig out of school was Chicago Red Stars uh, talk a little bit about that time and maybe some of the things that you learned there uh, and then also. Uh, you know, I mean, you, you mentioned playing soccer growing up. Did you play in high school and stuff, or did you sort of phase out? Um, I, I just played indoor in high school. I kind of phased out. I, I think I went out for the the field hockey team the very first day, and they and they made me run three miles. And I saw the golf team, and I was like, oh, nope, I'm gonna go. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna go play golf instead. <laughs> so, I never played indoor because of basketball, and I, I grew up playing soccer. Uh, since I was three years old, and then uh, basically my sophomore year, my um, our basketball coach pretty strongly encouraged us to specialize in one sport, which I completely disagree mm-hmm. with nowadays. Uh, so I ended up basically leaving the team after my freshman year and not going back, but I always missed it. 
And so I never got the opportunity to play indoor, but my son's playing indoor right now and it's freaking amazing. Like I, I'm like, dude, I missed out on this whole world. <laughs> uh-huh. Sporting actually, we have a, an, an indoor team now and we started, a, I guess back in November. And I think the last time I had played soccer or indoor in general was probably high school. Oh, so you have like a staff indoor team. Yeah, yeah. And so I got out in the field and I just start running after the ball and I'm like, I asked for a sub immediately. (laughs) I couldn't do it. It took me at least like three games to at least be able to run and not like topple over. Now I was, I was, (laughs) we're like way off the rails here, but that's okay. (laughs) I was was talking to a friend of mine who's, uh, he's going to help me coach. I'm coaching my son's indoor team for this next session. And actually I designed their logo and like uniform on my brother works or my brother-in-law works for BSN sports, which is like a huge distributor of, Mm -hmm. uh, of gear. And so we, we got some deals on some stuff, but anyway, uh, my assistant coach, is a is a former goalkeeper from my high school, and his dad was like one of those all state goalkeepers I was telling you about, and uh, and I was telling him I was like, you know, I wouldn't mind getting into indoor, but and I feel like like my touch is pretty good right now, just because like I'm always practicing with my son and like teaching him things, like because I was a I was a um, an offensive midfield midfielder, so I sort of always relied on like athleticism and moves and stuff right. like that. I wasn't ever like I wasn't ever the type of kid that was just like hard nosed enough to go and like just you know destroy somebody in the in the backfield <laughs> no no I was think I was the goalie and I was a goalie and forward which are the two opposite positions but I remember as a goalie see I was kind of that like wreck it Ralph type player as a goalie <laughs> if there was like a breakaway I would just go out and slide tackle I'm like <laughs> granted that was grade school so they don't kick you out in grade school, but yeah, I, uh, I I had to stop doing that in high school. <laughs> on a on a on a very, on a very much like slower and uh, um, what's what am I looking for here? Like and much more amateur level. I was more of like a Jordan Morris, <laughs> like dummy yeah. the ball, play the open field, you know, and try to use speed and quickness. Uh, My to dad get tells some, me a story. We were like we were down, I think eight to zero one time, and because I was in I was in goal and. I'll just say it wasn't my fault. <laughs> we were down 8-0. And the coach put me in as forward. I think I went and scored like five goals or something. <laughs> nice. And then he takes me back out and puts me back in goal. And my dad's yelling because he's all mad. And <laughs> So I would just go up, do my thing, go back in goal. <laughs> yeah. See, and now my son, he's like, he's been like the leading scorer on every team he's on. It's like, there's like a natural, I don't know what it is, but I'm like, whatever it is, we're freaking put, I mean, I'm not pushing him like pushy, like crazy dad, but uh-huh. I'm like, he likes soccer and he's pretty good at it. And he's pretty athletic to be as young as he is. Um, I'm going to try to facilitate as much opportunity as I can for him. So that's hey, sort of like where know. we're at. But uh, so anyway, back to the Chicago Red Stars. That was your first year guy to school, right? Yeah. So out of school, I was actually, I think, like most of the college graduates in 2012, unemployed. Um, so I moved back home to St. Louis, and I had been doing a bunch of freelance stuff, uh, you know, for local businesses. I think my dad at one point even would give me a 20 to help him organize his Excel spreadsheets for work. <laughs> yeah. um, and I had gone on Teamwork Online and was looking. I had applied to, I think, the San Jose Sharks I applied for. Uh, actually, DC United, now that I think about it. Um, and I saw the Red Stars had something, and I don't think it was design related at all. It was some marketing coordinator 
something. And I was like, you know what? I, I just, you know, I'll apply. I'm desperate. <laughs> it was like month six of unemployment. And um, I get an email back from their GM and she was like, uh, I think she was something like, you know, we we filled the position, but I saw that you had design experience. Um, would you want to freelance and do some stuff for us? And I was like, absolutely. I I love soccer. I love Chicago. I don't really have much else to do. So they, I think that's the very first year that the league was called NWSL. Um, it had folded for, the old league had folded for a while. Um, so I was kind of doing flyers and posters and digital graphics for that, for that first season. Just the, you know, Facebook headers, um, sales flyers, nothing too crazy. Um, I did that for, I want to say about three months. And about that time I had applied for FC Dallas, um, for a design position. Um, and they had seen my Red Stars work and I went, and interviewed, and a couple of weeks later, I was I was moving to Dallas. Did you interview with uh, Eric Davila? Yeah, he. I interviewed with him, which was kind of funny that because I walked in, and you know, after you get to know your bosses for a while, you're like, so like, how many other people were there? Like, was I your number one? Like, kind of joking around, um, and they're like, oh, it's because you know we saw your. I think you were the only candidate with soccer experience. And it was just funny to me because I almost didn't take I almost didn't take that that Red Stars freelance work, and so I guess everything happens for a reason. Oh yeah, that's that's definitely that's serendipitous right there. But mm-hmm. I mean, you were actively looking in soccer, though it sounds like. Oh yeah, I was I was actively looking in in sports in general, and I I, I guess I could say I wasn't insanely confident in my in my work. I was just, I was just out of college. I'd worked for. Uh, the communications department at Loyola, uh, where I was, I actually started designing, I think, in InDesign, because we did a lot of publication and uh, and print stuff. Um, so that's kind of where I started, you know, making shapes. and. Actually, I love InDesign. I'm like a closet InDesign fan. <laughs> I mean, it honestly, when it comes to like pl- plugging in photos, and I think InDesign has the best, I guess, interface for that type of stuff. Uh, 100% from a layout perspective, it's like InDesign. I mean, because I used to even, I'm not really doing as many, I'm doing a whole lot of web stuff now, but back when I was doing like more posters and stuff, I would always lay out the heavy Photoshop lifting uh, in Photoshop and then I would import that into InDesign as like a flattened TIFF and then do 100% of my text or logo schedules or whatever in in InDesign. That's what I did. Just so much easier. It is easier. So at that point, InDesign was like my number one application I guess you could you could say um and then illustrator and then photoshop so I got the job and I I was I was so scared I was like I don't know what I'm doing I'm moving to a whole different I'm moving to Texas I remember I was freaking out but no I I moved down there and we call him Davi so if I say Davi that's I'm talking about Eric yeah um Mm -hmm. that's his Twitter too right Eric Davi like and that is yeah Eric Davi yeah so I mean Davi was super accommodating. He taught me, I mean, I, I've learned so much from him. You can kind of see in my early stuff, I would, I would take his poster home and kind of deconstruct it and just kind of see what he would do. So he taught me, I guess, a lot of my, a lot of my techniques that I know today. He's at Advocare now, right? Yeah, yeah. He moved on to Advocare. 
when he left, you were still there, right? Yeah, so when he left, um, they promoted me to manager, and then later they hired a coordinator underneath me. So I think, I think the day that I, I walked into my boss's office, because I was 20, 25, 24, 25, and I had just been told I was the manager of an MLS team for the, I was a manager of their creative, like a global brand. Yeah. I think I went home and I, I had a few beers because I was equal parts <laughs> excited yet like panicking. Freaking out. <laughs> right. It was, it was a big step from, you know, doing just social graphics and, you know, kind of having Davi as the lead too. Oh, yeah. I mean, you had some pretty big shoes to fill. Like, there's, uh, like, you guys had, just from a purely like visual language, I think like FC Dallas at, at the time had some of the best in in sport. Period. Not just MLS. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you guys were doing we, good stuff. Yeah, we. It was. I mean, we had the very first year I was there. We kind of, you know, be being new, we kind of just not didn't do the bare minimum, but we we made sure all the little graphics were done. And then the next year, once we, you know, kind of understood each other a little more and what we like to do and how fast we work. Um, we started, you know, the Scarf of the Month program where we mm. would design a scarf. Uh, once every month it'd be a, it would try to be around a theme, you know, just not a generic scarf, like have have a reason, make it a super special scarf. And then I think the next season we kept that going, but then we added match posters. Because, you know, working for for a brand, like like a sports team, you you have set colors mm-hmm. and you really can't, change them right. so after a while it was like red white and blue red white and blue red white and blue yeah <laughs> and we'd have to stay on brand so we introduced match posters and uh davi made it a rule that it it absolutely could not be on brand like it had to be the furthest thing from on brand just to kind of dust off the cobwebs if we had seen something online some technique that we wanted to try yeah um just to kind of get out of the little brand identity ruts, I guess you could say. Yeah, no doubt. When and like just looking through some of your work on Behance, like uh uh you started to sort of implement like a little bit of it was still red and there was still some blue, but it was like there's some uh monotone backgrounds, sort of grayish, uh sepia toned mm-hmm. backgrounds and things like that. It's almost like it almost some of these almost look like uh inspired from like a two color, like old school like rock poster from like a Nashville. <laughs> There's a place in Nashville called, um, and now that I'm trying to think about it, it's completely slipped my mind. But basically, this uh, Hat Show print—that's what it is. It's called Hat Show print, and they've basically done all the all the posters for the Grand Ole Opry since like the beginning of time. And mm-hmm. they still do like this sort of metal, uh, you know, letter pressed work, and it's like a big deal. Like these artists are like they want them to do their poster. Right. Yeah, a couple of them. Um, I think Landon Donovan's, I guess there's an asterisk by this now, his last, his last game in Frisco back in, in 2014, I think. Yep. Um, That's the exact we one made it I'm a, looking a, at, too. A, a, a boxing <laughs> theme one, yeah. Uh, so we kind of tried to play to the occasion and um, kind of pump up the fact that it was his last fight. Yeah. But no, everything else, um, everything else, you know, we, because Davi and I were on like Behance all the time, just like looking at what other people have done. Mm-hmm. Um, 
kind of trying to copy what they did and then take it a step further with mixing in our own type of style. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that kind of came out in the match posters. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, it definitely looks different for for what most sport looks like. I mean, that that's what really attracts my eye. To be uh, blunt, honest, I am really burnt out on the things that are being done right now. It's just mm-hmm. everything looks the same. And it's, I think we were we were talking at work the other day. Uh, college football graphics, like recruiting graphics, yep. and um, we we actually we're starting to call like the the scripted hand scripted kind of messy fonts the college <laughs> the college football fonts. Yeah, I actually at, so literally at the beginning of the season, I tweeted something about that, and I was like, the the scratchy type is the font is like the font of the year for college football yep. or something like that. It's like the was new. Was it you that was it you that said something where like you could you could replace the the player or the team logo in any of in any graphic and it would still look like it's, the same team. It sounds like something I would have said, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 think I, I think I remember favoring that because I had that exact thought the same morning. I have a tendency to not pull any punches on that stuff, which, you know, but the, here's the thing, like, I've, we need design criticism and we need good design criticism, not right. some 15-year-old on Instagram who's just like, you know. Uh, Thumbs down. Yeah, I mean, we the, the sports design landscape is a very sensitive place and it's ridiculous because you're working in sports the most like non-sensitive you know a, a demographic as far as like the people right. that are playing athletics i mean a coach isn't pulling any punches you know and when you go to when i went to design school like literally my first day of class drawing one my freshman year um we, the school that i went to is a, is a, a a university south of lexington but we actually had it was kind of a diamond and a rough thing as far as the art program like we had our teachers like our professors went to like Pratt Institute and like all these big time places. Oh, wow. Um, so they sort of pushed us really hard. And I remember we hung our drawings up <laughs> the first day and our, my teacher just ripped off like half of them and threw them on the floor. And he was like, I'm not, I'm not even going to discuss those. Like he was basically right. like, I'm not even going to waste my time like critiquing <laughs> this work. It's that bad. <laughs> right. And I just remember, I remember sitting there and I remember being really um, intimidated but also really excited because coming from sports, I was like, this is awesome. This is like, it's going to be like a coach, you know, they're going to really push you here. And that's what happened. And so that's really where I have adopted my mentality for critique and stuff like that. And other people are just, and honestly, I think people that come from the marketing side and uh, like the PR side, especially like you say anything bad about their work and it's like, you're trashing them as a person. And it's like, no, Dude, like your work has, I know that you put your heart and soul into your work, but your work has nothing to do with you as an individual. Unless right. it's a personal project and then who cares because it's not for me, it's for you. I tend to, I tend to keep those to myself. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't go out just trashing people, but like if yeah. I see an observation that needs to be spoke up about, I'll bring it up. Uh, right. Like, you know, the overuse of, uh, of the scratchy typeface or um, too many high pass filters <laughs> right or uh, or you know HDR toning just taken or, or a couple years ago uh, too much United you know and now it's tungsten everybody's using tungsten and I mean I'm guilty of this too like I, I usually try to start something or start using something and then in a couple and then I'll like with this lacrosse company I work with I use tungsten and Proxima Nova for basically mm-hmm. all of their stuff just to keep it consistent and tungsten mm-hmm. now has become one of those fonts that um, 
is being used a lot. And to be completely honest, part of the reason why I used tungsten was because it cost like $900 or whatever it did. I was like, nobody's right. going nobody's to use this. Well, then lo and behold, people start stealing the font and now it's like everywhere. <laughs> right. That, that seems to be a trend. I, I mean, I've been, I, I've, been, I've been guilty of Googling insert font name free. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, well, when I started doing my own thing, um, and I really sort of tried to uh, take some of that stuff a little more seriously because, like, if, if something if something legally happens with me, like it's me, it's like my house, it's, right? You know, so I, I'm I'm a little more careful with some of that stuff, which is also why I don't buy a whole. I mean, I'll end up I might buy like two fonts a year or whatever, right? <laughs> but you know, for the most part, and then also like there's a little bit of me as I've gotten older to where I'm like, you know what, this is like these people's hard work. Uh, this is their livelihood, and you know if people jack our designs and steal our stuff, it would it would suck, you know. So and it does suck because people do do that, right? But so anyway, back to back to FC Dallas. Um, you were you were promoted from design coordinator to to creative services manager. But what what is the difference between those two positions? Because design coordinator to me sounds like a project manager. I mean, are you physically making? So the coordinator, the coordinator job, which I don't know if this is. I guess, sports-wide. Um, Davi and I actually shared a lot of the workload. Um, you know, the you got to make your place in sports. We did a lot of sales flyers. I know I worked through a lot of sales flyers. But then anything from posters to digital, I guess, would be the, what, I, what I was doing as a coordinator. Um, and Davi would take on the bigger projects like partnership book recaps or stadium signage. And then as, you know, as we went on um, and, you know, I got to know more of the style of FC Dallas and even got to, even as little things, little things as like knowing the printer, um, I would kind of start being in charge of the roster cards and, you know, just bigger and bigger projects. And then manager, uh, I actually got to manage a coordinator. Um, so I kind of passed on a few of the sales flyer stuff uh, to her and, I kind of took on the the big signage, the stadium, like the stadium banners. Um, the new soccer hall of fame is going in, so uh, I created all of that branding and all the signs for the launch. And I still laugh whenever I watch FC Dallas games. And there's the the giant wall that I go that that's my wall. I always yeah. call it my wall, the big construction wall. <laughs> yeah, because um, I think that might be the the biggest thing I've ever designed is a construction wall. Um, so it was more taking on, um, you know, making sure, like coordinator Ashley, making sure she uh, was settled in and making sure that she understood uh, kind of the FC Dallas brand guidelines. Um, and then I was also in charge of, uh, I guess, organizing all the creative requests. That was something that the manager usually took on or the art director. Um, so they'd come in and I would just assign projects. So kind of the, uh, I guess the boring stuff. <laughs> the, the the farther up you get, the less design stuff you do, and the more the more boring stuff you do. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's uh, that's sort of the the worst part about uh, design growth. Well, really, almost like any creative discipline. Like the higher up the ladder you go, the more of a <laughs> of a figurehead you right. become. <laughs> Um, but the projects do get a little more fun, so I, I think it's a good balance. 
Well, I mean, and I think that they get bigger from like a strategic perspective where there's just like a higher level of thinking involved. Right. As opposed to being just a maker and like, hey, make this. We, this is the strategy, make this. And now you're actually able to create some of the strategy, which seems pretty cool. Right. And a couple of the things, like if, I remember if I, if I would have been given stadium signage, like my second week working with the team, I, I can guarantee you it wouldn't have looked that good. <laughs> so it's kind of it's kind of understanding the space because um, going just from designing digital graphics with the red stars and um, like little print cards with Loyola to designing fifty foot high banners, it is kind of a, a spatial recognition that you have to work into your brain. You have to kind of get kind of have to know how a sign that big will look. Versus just a little, you know, four by six card in, in front of you. Right. So, I mean, I'd imagine that Dallas was a, a pretty big soccer scene. I mean, you, you guys have uh, the Hispanic community, which is going to be close, you know, close to Mexico, just from lo- purely location. Uh, mm-hmm. FC Dallas, like you have a good youth development program for what I hear, like the whole homegrown thing. I uh, listened to a, mm-hmm. your manager on... Uh, um, Men and Blazers podcast, and then you, your t- FC Dallas is the first team to ever uh, beat a Mexican team in the Champions League, which is pretty pretty crazy considering the that US the US relationship with Mexico in terms of soccer. Um, but so, what 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 sort of uh, what inspired the move to uh, to Kansas City? Uh, so it was more of a, I you know, growing up in the Midwest, um, I kind of moved to. Dallas on a whim, not, not knowing what I was getting myself into. It was honestly at first kind of just for a job. Um, I could have never imagined what I got myself into when I moved down there. Um, just the, the types of projects that I got to do. And I told people when, when I was saying my goodbyes a few months ago, if you would have told me that I was like designing a construction wall for the Hall of Fame, if four years, I would have told you you were crazy. Yeah. Um, and even like the the men's and women's national teams coming in, and it was insane. Um, it was an easy move, but I I did miss being around home. I did miss family, and I was also kind of in that spot where I'd been there for four seasons, and uh, not that I was set in my ways, but I was almost just kind of looking for. For something different, mm-hmm. um, I know I, I don't know if I'm above average in terms of designers getting stuck in ruts. I feel like I get stuck in them a lot. I don't know how many times the average designer gets stuck in a rut. So it was kind of a mix of just wanting to move back home and just looking for something new, something different to challenge me creatively. Yeah, what's well, uh, I know that a few years ago uh, when Sporting KC was making some pretty deep runs. I remember Twitter being crazy with Sporting KC stuff. And I don't know if it's just because I followed a bunch of Kansas City people or what, mm-hmm. but it seemed like it, Sporting KC was everywhere. No, they, I mean, in the past, in the past five years, they, they built their new stadium, which is fabulous. That's, I remember walking into it for my very first sporting game, working on the team as a photographer on the field. Uh, I had gone a couple times uh, when Dallas played. I had traveled up. But actually sitting on the field, it was it was pretty insane. Um, they had a new stadium, and then they I think they went Open Cup, MLS Cup, Open Cup champions. So the past five years, I think they they've known nothing but just success. So they built a, a pretty good fan base around their brand. 
Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. And and what's the what is the soccer scene just overall like out there? I mean, I when I was in when I was in Dallas, Dallas is a huge market. Um, so I, I wouldn't see. I, I would get excited when I saw you know people in FC Dallas gear because it was kind of a rarity just because it's so large. In Frisco, there's I mean where the stadium is, there's there's Dallas stuff everywhere. But you know when you when you'd go out downtown and somebody be passing you in a T-shirt, you almost wanted to like high five them. Yeah. Um, around here, because Kansas City is such a smaller market, um, there's a, I mean, there's a giant mural downtown with the logo on it. Just driving around town, I see people hanging flags and um, people have stickers on their car. So it's it's a little more tight knit here. I think a little more people follow the the team up here. Uh, I mean, it is they don't have as many sports here as they do in Dallas. Um, so it's almost kind of a, a staple up here. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Well, have you have you been able to branch out and meet any of the other people there, uh, as far as like the other creative communities? No, I haven't. Um, Jordan Geisler, I can actually. I need to make an email introduction between you two. He's uh, he works for the Chiefs, and yeah, for sure. I think we actually followed each other a couple of weeks ago on Twitter or Behance or one of those. But I haven't been able to like meet up and. Chat sport design yet? Yeah, he's in the uh, he's in the makers of sport community. So I'll, I'll talk to you. I'll talk to you about that. Like after we go off air. But um, yeah, he's a he's a pretty good dude. Um, yeah, that'd be awesome. So it seems like y'all been adding staff like crazy. I mean, I, you just added uh, the what's his name? Nate? Is it Nate Sathoff or whatever? Yeah, Nate Sathoff. Yeah, he was there. He was. I think he started working last April for Sporting. Um, uh huh. No, we're we're expanding. He he used to be with the Redskins, and and I just I looked him up on. I was curious. I mean, he follows me on Twitter, so I'm familiar with who he is. And uh, getting ready for this interview, I looked up. He seems to be a pretty soccer knowledgeable kid. I mean, he's coached in it and and that type of thing. Oh yeah, he was work. Yeah, he worked for the Redskins. Um, he he's actually a big EPL fan, and he was at it before me, and then I came in. Um, you know, we had kind of. It was funny when I. When I applied for the job, uh, I was talking to HR at Sporting. He was like, "Oh, do you know? Do you know Chad and Nate? They seem to know a lot about you." And I was like, "Actually, I've I've never met them. We just kind of have our little comments on in our little nerd design sports Twitter yeah. group and on the hands and um, and Chad's your the creative director there, right? It's been correct, there like yeah. ten years. How many people are there as far as creatives?" So it's um, Chad, Nate, and I. We're adding a. I think we're going to add a junior designer soon. Uh, we're kind of working that out. Um, and then there's a director of video, and then four editors and producers. And I think we just added another two. And then there's a uh, director of marketing. So it's a it's a pretty big staff compared to compared to what I was uh, what I was in in Dallas. Yeah. Now, atmosphere. Uh, I want to talk about atmosphere a little bit because when you get around a, a a group of creatives like that, I mean, let's be honest. Atmosphere is a pretty uh, important for creative professionals, and in most in house sports, with so many suits walking around and just the sort of the corporate nature of ticket sales, uh, it can be pretty tough. So, I'm curious, what kind of things are you guys doing to kind of facilitate a creative culture among yourselves? Uh, we actually just moved to a new office down in, down in the crossroads for anyone familiar with KC. It's just an old exposed brick building. Chad and Nate and I 
have been in the space, we actually designed most of it to make it look like sporting. Um, we have a couple of designs that Chad has created over the years. We made uh, canvases out of them and put them on the wall. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually put turf on a wall. It was, it was kind of one of my dumb ideas. We were kind of talking about stuff to put in the office. and <laughs> You can, you I, can I go, kick balls off the wall now. <laughs> you can. I was like, why don't we put turf on the wall? And I think, I think someone turned to me and just said, that's the stupidest idea. And before they, but before they finished the sentence, they're like, wait a minute, that might be so dumb that it might be <laughs> it might awesome. It might be cool, yeah. <laughs> right. So now we have like a turf wall. Because um, our old office was, I mean, it was blue and white. It's, it sounds trivial, but this new office kind of takes on the culture of sporting. Uh, being around all the other departments in kind of a very creative, eclectic environment usually helps get the design juices going rather than just sitting you know, in corporate office. Wait, so are you actually around other departments or are you in some sort of like, because it's, it's, I'm not familiar with the area. It sounds like you're, I thought you were in just sort of some other area, like starting your own studio kind of thing. Oh, no, we're, we are all on one floor, all the departments. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Which, that's how it was at, that's how it was at Dallas. Which, in our, in Sporting's old office that we were at, we were, marketing was kind of on, a different floor from ticket sales and partnerships and the comms department, which actually I think kind of hindered collaboration. If you had a question, you know, you didn't, you just kind of emailed back and forth. Um, You didn't really get to see each other's faces every day. Uh, So now that we're all on the same floor, you know, if someone has a question, they just walk on over. Um, Right. Which, you know, when, when it gets really busy can be a little stressful, but you know, if someone c- comes over and is talking to me about a project and, and Nate or Chad hears something and they have an idea, it kind of just sparks a bigger conversation and more ideas and it's only positive. Right. That's awesome. Well, sort of changing uh, the subject a little bit, we were kind of talking about youth soccer earlier and just development. Uh, I know that the MLS seems to be really kind of facilitating uh, um homegrown talent a lot of these clubs are and obviously mm-hmm. you're talking about Sporting KC and I know that even uh, Sporting KC even has like a futsal team uh, are you you guys doing much for that type of stuff do you design much for like the clubs or the or like the younger clubs or the academies and any of the youth development stuff um, I know we do they have like a Sporting Stripes uh, program which is for little kids um, I actually went out I think one of my first few weeks here I went out and shot an academy game. It was a Generation Adidas game, mm-hmm. um, which for people who don't know, is just a tournament where, uh, I think it's a U-17 tournament, a bunch of, I think every MLS team has a U-17 team and you can sign players to Generation Adidas contracts and I'm not the best person to talk to it, but it's just a bunch of little people from MLS teams, yeah. <laughs> just the little kids. Um, and ironically enough, it was... Sporting was playing Dallas. And so for the time that I have been here, we haven't done a whole lot. With Dallas, we did a lot. And that was because I think 50% of our starting 11 or like our, what was homegrowns, like yeah, players in vital that, starting spots were homegrowns. Yeah. That's, you guys were not known for that or something. That's pretty, pretty incredible. Yeah. It's so weird soccer because uh, soccer in the U S there's like uh for you know, like internationally, 
it's nothing for like a kid to come through an academy and then sign on with like the you know Premier League team or whatever. Whereas like here, like the NCAA basically ruins everything. Right. <laughs> like these kids, and it's like, oh, well, I would rather go to college and play college soccer. And then like when they're playing college soccer, they can't do anything with the academies or whatever. Because right. I know there was a whole story with Jordan Morris of the Seattle Sounders, and they were like, they were going to sign him out of high school, out of their academy, and he was like, I want to go to college. End up going, and then like right. every year in college, they were like, dude, just quit college and come play. <laughs> right. I know. I know. Because I mean, the kids that are in this, these academies, I, I know I'm not as well versed with Sporting's academy yet. But I remember going out and taking photos of like U eights, like eight year olds. Wow, yeah, are already that's, my, that's in, like my son, yeah. Right, they're already in a developmental program for an MLS club, uh, where with all the tournaments and traveling, just here in the U.S. and overseas, I could see how high school soccer or even college soccer could, I don't know, become absolute absolute one day. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely makes sense. I know that there's there are kids. Uh, I went to high school with um, my alma mater's high school soccer coach, and he he has kids that are like say freshmen that are playing club teams. We I live we, I live about an hour and a half from Cincinnati, so that's why I talk about Cincinnati a lot. And a lot of people from where I'm from are Cincinnati pro sports fans, and that's why I also want FC Cincinnati to be an MLS team just solely It'd for like fun. these academy opportunities and stuff. But right. um, uh, you know, like kids these days are actually competing with uh, the club soccer is actually competing with high school sports in that like he would have to tell some of his kids like, hey, I really need you for this high school game because they were going to go play their club game. Right. And that to me is just crazy. <laughs> like in just growing up in high school sports, it seems like you're always more loyal to your high school than those other things. But now it's like the complete opposite. Right. I remember Dallas had a an ECNL team, so a women's team. And then they had... I think I should know this. I think a WPSL team the year this past year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember we were trying to, you know, announce it and put up the roster. And he's like, well, the roster is going to be changing so much. And I was like, that, that, I'm, I'm confused. He's like, oh, well, these girls come play here and then they, they can't be on the team anymore because they have to go play it for their college. Yeah. And it just baffled me that you could, you had to pick a team. Like, you couldn't play for for both and eligibility reasons, all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, and they can't be getting paid, right? I mean, if you're playing in college, you're because right. you're considered a pro at that point. That's true. It's just I've I've been reading up a lot about this and paying attention to it because the NCAA, just from like, especially just from the looking at the development of like the men's national team and how like we really struggle. Like our women's team, we don't mm-hmm. have any problems, right? But like the men's team. Um, you know how we really struggle with with that type of stuff, and how college sort of really throws a curveball at um, right. at just the game of soccer over here. Well, sort of speaking of that, uh, it, it seems like that it's a really exciting time to be part of the MLS. I mean, this is totally from a, just a f- more fan perspective, but just like the, I do know that the league has been experiencing record growth in television audience and the social ma- the social media channels are p- pumping out awesome stuff and then the tech I mean not to mention the tech initiatives led by uh, Samir Golay who was one of my former podcast guests he's the VP of digital uh, up at, oh really up at, yeah up at HQ um, that's funny yeah so uh, you know him or is it just yeah like we're, we're, we're best friends <laughs> no I, I, I yeah I know of him I've I believed you for a second yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he would know. He would not know me. No. Yeah. 
Well, well how, how things change as far as that, like in your opinion, from just your time and your time working in the MLS? Because, I mean, it is, it seems like it's a little more mainstream now to an extent. Mm-hmm. I mean, the MLS Cup this year was like through the roof as far as people paying as far attention. As viewership? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I, when I was kind of thinking about, when I was at Dallas, kind of looking to move closer to home and trying to see if I wanted to stay in sports or go to, you know, a boutique or an agency. Soccer, I know through broadcast deals and just general young people being more and more interested in the sport, um, it had taken off. Um, In Dallas, I remember my first year, FCLS wasn't as popular. You know, you'd just me in a new city, I'd walk around and when I would meet people, I'd be like, oh, I work for FC Dallas. And I'd be like, what is that? Through the years I was working there, um, I felt like the more people I met and the more people I was like, oh, yeah, I work for FC Dallas, they go, oh, the soccer team. So I think it was just a general trend upwards as far as TV viewership. The team started doing really well. So people started taking notice. I think, I think it goes back to the whole World Cup, Women's World Cup, kind of phenomenon where kids my age, I remember I was nine when they won the World Cup, um, mm-hmm. just growing up with the sport. And it's, I don't want to say they were cheap. That kind of, that's a, that's a negative turn. It's an, it's an affordable sport for people our age. I think for millennials and, you know, younger 30s. Um, oh yeah, I mean, and when there's like, and from a kid perspective, there's not a huge barrier to entry. Like as far as like when you're three and four year olds, right? They just go out there and run and chase a ball. I mean, that's really right. what they're doing. And then then you start to teach them a little better because I actually coach U six and U eight. Uh, I'm actually no, well, I'm no longer coaching U six because uh, of my kids growing up. But um, you know, and there's a huge difference between those leagues in, in terms of like in U eight. I'm in U six. I'm just like trying to make sure they don't get hurt and they have fun. <laughs> Right. <laughs> and in U8, right. I'm like actually teaching positions a little bit and we're trying to win some games, I, even though like winning is not our number one priority, but it's like, hey, we're, they're keeping score. So like we do want to try to win. <laughs> right. Um, and I think the, just the talent of MLS has gone up in the last 10 years. I mean, I, I, 10 years ago, I don't think anyone playing in Europe would have batted an eye at MLS. Not saying there weren't a few, but. Uh, well, usually. Yeah, usually we just paid big money to get the old guys over there. Right. MLS is MLS is actually a consideration for younger athletes who I guess not didn't necessarily grow up here. Those like the European and South American players that would normally try to go to Europe or Germany or Spain. Well, even um, even like Christian or uh, well, I was gonna say Christian Pulisic since he's like the the hot item right mm-hmm. now. But I, even Jordan Morris, I mean, he could have went to a, a, a you know Champions League team or something. Right. I think uh, I think he was looking at or a Bundesliga team was trying to sign him. Okay. Yeah. Um, and he chose he chose MLS. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, our our people are staying here. Our talent staying here. We're we're home growing more talent, so that's huge. Uh, I wonder if a lot of parents aren't putting their kids in football because of like, f- even though you can get concussions in soccer or any sport, right. um, you know, just for fear of that. Also, just exposure. I mean, when I was growing, I'm 33, so when I was growing up, and I, you know, I love soccer. When I was growing up, I could not watch soccer on TV. Only when like the basically the men's national team was playing in the World Cup because you watch them and you'd sort of mm-hmm. like see Alexi Lawless or Colby Jones and be like, oh, those are my favorite players because right. that's the only ones I see. But now, like my son can watch the Premier League on Saturday mornings. Uh, right. You know? I think I remember the very first 
I think the 99 Women's World Cup was is the very first time I remember watching soccer on TV. And it wasn't until, I guess before I got the job at FC Dallas, when I was unemployed, uh, they would play EPL reruns yeah. <laughs> during the like, like over lunch on, on NBC Sports. Right. Um, and that was kind of when I started watching it and, and learning names. Um, yeah, the international brands names. Right. I remember I was, I think I tried to watch Euros. I'm going to get the year wrong, like 2008 or I, it was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And I knew nobody. But just from watching that and then starting to watch EPL, I'd be like, oh, I recognize that name. He plays for England or. Yeah. Well, and, and, uh, and the women's national team winning. I mean, if, if there's right. one thing that's going to get Americans behind the sport, it's going to be winning. <laughs> Right, <laughs> you know, so because we're America. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there's that, um, and and honestly, FIFA, the game. I mean, my mm-hmm. son plays FIFA on my phone like crazy. I think he's honestly learned to play his position as no kidding as a wing by by like watching FIFA, like the you know those guys on the uh, on the iOS game. <laughs> That's crazy. I think I read an article one time that. I I would like to think they were being serious because I thought it was funny, but they actually, from playing the game, like European players or South American players would play the game to get to know, uh, pe- you know, players. If they were coming to MLS, they would play FIFA to learn the players' names. I don't doubt that. I mean, I remember watching, uh, it was a, f- a few years ago, I think it was, I think when Wes Welker played for the Patriots, he was like running the ball, uh, and they needed to like run some clock, and he basically got to like the end zone and like ran sort of like an L, just like mm-hmm. he was going sort of like vertical, and then he went horizontal to try to run out some time, and then got into the to the <laughs> to the end zone, and they were like, "Where mm-hmm. did you learn to do that?" And he was like, "You know, playing video games, basically playing Madden." That that was always my move. <laughs> yeah, no, we all did that. I did that all the time too. Uh-huh. Like, <laughs> But it's just crazy to me how that stuff is affecting the actual sport now. And FIFA, I mean, there are, there are FIFA, FIFA's getting real big into esports. Mm-hmm. And even MLS, I think some MLS clubs maybe, or maybe I'm, I haven't, uh, maybe I'm wrong on that. I do know some uh, like Premier League clubs are getting into it. I think MLS clubs are actually starting to get their stadiums on FIFA. I remember that was a big, that was a big deal. You know, you'd play as, as Chelsea or Manchester United and, You'd be in Old Trafford, but when you played as FC Dallas or Colorado Rapids, you were just in a generic stadium. Yeah, and I remember that. I remember they were slowly starting to map out the MLS stadiums. Right. Well, sort of speaking of this global game, uh, are you guys monitoring the international clubs and what they do just from a marketing perspective? Because there are some there's some great stuff out there. Like Manchester City's digital team, I think it's phenomenal. I actually. Uh, I actually started following. I think a, a couple of us started following each other last year. They had uh, tweeted out um, some posters that they had made where it was the picture. I think it was Manchester City women. It was a headshot of the player, and then it was uh, on Snapchat how you can swap faces. Yeah. They were putting up posters around the stadium where you could go swap your face with the player. Oh, that's and cool. then you could. You could like take a photo and, and send it, tweet it at them, and, and win something. I don't know. Oh, that's awesome. Their their uh, their Snapchat is a must follow. Anybody that's listening that's on Snapchat, you need to follow Manchester City. It, they mean, do a I great job. I, I don't think I do. I think I need to do that. They actually and they have like a startup incubator. I, they did one last year, and this year they're partnering with Google for like. Oh really? Yeah, creating like a, creating startups. 
that are geared towards like the fan experience. Well, that's awesome. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, actually, today we were, because we're kind of getting closer to our 2017 brand look, we were looking at the uh, Premier League rebrand, the, the neon look, the very boxy type look. Yeah, uh-huh. And we were looking at, I think there's, someone found a graphics package online. And I think that's one of the most phenomenal rebrands in the history of sports. Oh, actually, I think I tweeted um, the... There's a, a studio in Europe, um, Dixon Baxon, I think, something like that. And they did all of the sort of television motion theory and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it is like incredible. Yeah, it's Dixon Baxi, D I X O N B A X I. But uh, yeah, so if you check their stuff out on like Vimeo, it's, there's an incredible video of just like the motion theory and even things like, oh, like. Uh, an assist, like the way that they sort of map out from a motion perspective, just using motion and like graphics, you know, flat graphics or whatever. But I remember when that first came out, uh, a company called Design Studio, which is in San Francisco and also in London, I think, uh, they did the rebranding. And Design Studio, they did like Airbnb's new branding. They do a lot of stuff for startups. And I remember being like, I don't know if I like this. This just feels kind of weird, but it has grown on me like crazy. And now I kind of want like some crazy pink lion hoodie. You know, right? (laughs) I think it's just it's because it stands out in sport. It totally does. Right. Everything else looks the same. And I mean, from my perspective, I've only been following the Premier League, I guess, for the past five, six years. It kind of had gotten a little stale, and they were kind of going off old traditions, old English traditions, and yep. To attract the the younger generation, I just think they they hit the nail on the head perfectly. Oh, one hundred percent. And I think that, yeah, I mean, you nailed it because they, it's sort of like these clubs have been around since like the early 1800s, some of them, mm-hmm. you know, and it was kind of like, it was almost a little stodgy <laughs> to an to an extent. And now it's like, hey, this stuffy, is, a little boring. yeah, now it's like, hey, this is, well, even like the fan base, you look in the fans and everybody's wearing like some like black jacket, just like, yep. <laughs> it just seems so weird, <laughs> yep. you know, compared to American sports where it's like crazy psycho people in the stands. <laughs> I mean, I'm, there are some in over there too, but especially in some of the smaller level clubs. But so, just from a global perspective, uh, I know that you guys obviously are paying attention to some of these. But from my point of view, what do you guys? I mean, it just seems like from the the game of soccer is the work in soccer, in my opinion, is is probably the best top to bottom than like any other league, in my opinion. And and it's Absolutely. I mean, what is it about that? Do you think it is? Because it's like sort of the, there's a there's like soccer just globally historically has always had like a nice visual aesthetic. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess does the your sport kind of influences your design, and they the, you know they call it the beautiful game, right? It's I think it's out of all the sports, it's just the most artistic style of sport, and. It it's not necessarily the the rough and tumble sport that football is, so you can kind of get away with softer design, I guess, or I guess a little more eclectic design. You don't have to do the the, the spray paint and yeah. the, the stencil. I know exactly what you mean. It's it's a little more like elegant. It's almost it's it, the sport is an art in itself, right? And so it's really easy to mirror the style of play in your designs. Yeah. What do you think about 
um, U.S. clubs naming themselves like FC. That to, for me personally, that kind of bothers me a little bit because over here, like we flat out, we call it soccer. It's not football. We have our own right. football. So when I see clubs that are like, especially like youth clubs that are like FC, it drives me nuts. And you guys actually had there a little bit of a controversy over Sporting KC, if I remember, right? I'm not sure. You may. It may be before your time, but I, I mean, well, it's definitely before your time. But you guys were the Kansas City Wizards, and then you rebranded the Sporting KC. And I remember people were kind of uh, seemed like people were upset about it because, like, what it, usually sporting is like a European thing that means like a couple of different sports. Like, right? Yeah, I had never. I mean, I'd never. I didn't grow up following a soccer team, so all the sports that I did follow were, you know, city name, yeah, mascot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's just a very Americanized, an Americanized view on soccer and how teams should be labeled. Uh, I never thought about it until I got to, to FC Dallas. And even listening to, to the broadcast, I guess the, over the years, because of the hoops on the jersey, the stripes, um, the team was nicknamed the Hoops. Uh, and you know the mascot was named Tex Hooper. And yeah. So the club had kind of gotten away from, from that just the evolution of of the jersey we kind of went away from the hoops we stuck with the stripes and um but you would still hear announcers refer to us as the hoops the hoops because there wasn't a mascot and that almost kind of made marketing the team a little harder because everyone wants you to be a mascot it wants to be a team name right. like an animal like the or, tigers or the longhorns or whatever right Right. We were, I mean, if, if you just say Dallas, it's, that's nothing unique. You could say, oh, I'm rooting for Dallas, and it's one of five teams in the Metroplex. Yeah. Um, but even teams like Seattle Sounders. I mean, they're FC, though, right? It's Seattle Sounders FC. They are, and I, I always forget, like when I'm typing stuff out, I always forget to add that. Yeah. Um, I think Vancouver Whitecaps are also FC. Um, and New York Red Bulls, they're just, they're not, they're not FC, I don't think. They're just straight up Red Bulls or Red Bull New York uh, or something like that. New York, I think it's, I think New York Red Bulls, yeah. I see, I've heard that both ways too. Um, Probably from an international perspective because they have like, uh, they have like, you know, five or six different, there's like Red Bull, you know, some German team or whatever, <laughs> Austrian team. Oh, yeah, they have, I think they have, they definitely do have t- a team in Germany. Um, they have three soccer teams and two hockey teams. Because um, uh, myself and Michelle talked about it. Yeah, it's crazy. That's like Barcelona. I learned the other day that Barcelona has a hockey team. <laughs> yeah, well, their 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 basketball team's really good. Mm-hmm. So it's it's yeah, crazy it's all the sports that they got into. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Well, listen, in, in wrapping up, I got to talk about these infographics you've been designing for yourself about your life just on your behalf, <laughs> oh, your New Year's projects. Uh, uh-huh. I, I love the idea. Uh, I do have to critique 2013, though. You only read like, what, four books? You got to read more. Yeah. See, <laughs> I, I believe moving to a new city. I went out and explored rather than read. <laughs> okay. Hey, throw an audiobook on while you're walking. There you go. That's what I do. I listen to a lot of audiobooks. In 2017, I'll say I listened to 20 Makers of Sport podcasts. Oh, there you go. That'll be great. Just listen, listen to all 87 of them. Your your episode 87, and then we can we can call that. So from uh, you also noticed obviously that you attend a ton of concerts. I do. Well, working working in sports, uh, we had 
uh, it's called Edge Fest. It's just a giant one-day festival. I think a couple of years ago we had a two-day festival. So it's not so much me like going out and seeking out all these artists. They just happen to come to me. Yeah, um, makes sense. But I mean, that was that was another thing that I kind of found myself in when I started working down there. You know, they used the stadium for concerts and events. And all of a sudden I'm down there shooting Beck and yeah. I think uh, Good Charlotte came through last year and I'm now a concert photographer. Right. Would you, would you say that music uh, uh, influences your work at all from an artistic perspective? Oh, I, I definitely pay for Spotify premium. Yeah. <laughs> I, have, I, have my headphones, I have my headphones on all day. As far as like different types of music, I don't think I get as specific as if I'm designing this. I you know. yeah, that's that's a that's a little too crazy for me. I mean, well, you know what? I, I will say when I'm when I'm doing something that takes a lot of brain power, like especially if I'm writing or something like that, I usually try to listen to things that are more instrumental. Mm-hmm. But if I'm but other than that, like if there are words coming in my ears, I can't think to write. I just I can't. But it, but other than that, I can listen to any, pretty much anything when I'm designing. I try and listen to songs that I've already listened to because those I can usually kind of tune out their, their background music and I just, I'm just working on the computer. Yeah. <laughs> I try not to listen to new ones because I'll catch myself getting distracted like listening to the new melodies. Yeah, or you, you weren't one of the people that was on the Spotify billboard playing the Justin Bieber, I'm sorry, like 37 times in a row. <laughs> no, but I did see one about the, uh, the Panda song. I'm kind of obsessed with that song. Yeah, I think it was like someone in LA played it 4,400 times. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm obsessed with Timmy Turner from Designer. I, I like that song. That's a good one. Yeah. That is a good one. My son too. actually sings that one now too. Because that's one I can actually listen to him, listen with him in the in the car because like you can't understand a word he's saying. Right. <laughs> so he can't like repeat it <laughs> as opposed to if I play something right. else and he goes to school and like drops an F bomb or something, I'd be in big trouble. <laughs> right. No, after after a while I I'm a super superstitious person when it comes to sports. And so whenever FC Dallas would win, I would always go back up to my desk and as I'm editing photos, I'd blast Panda. And, <laughs> um, there's some other, the song called Really, Really. I don't know. I would just, I'd play the same like three songs. Yeah. Well, I'll have to follow you on Spotify. I have a pretty eclectic taste in music. I listen to a ton of different stuff. You, you couldn't really peg me, I guess. as like, oh, he likes that. He likes that. Cause I literally would listen to everything. <laughs> The only thing I don't really, the only thing I really don't like are like mainstream country, like Taylor Swift type, Rascal Flatts type stuff. You will not find one country song in my in my playlist, and I am proud of that. <laughs> I do listen to country. I listen to like I can listen to sort of like classic old school country, like Waylon Jennings or like Merle mm-hmm. Haggard, and I like what's called Red Dirt, which is like a big Texas thing. It's sort of like alternative country a little bit. Uh huh. Um, it's it's not it's there's a lot, the reason why I like that is because there's a lot of really good storytelling in those songs. I got out of Texas, still disliking country, and <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised. <laughs> I somehow survived. <laughs> All right, well, a couple of rapid fires just to wrap up. Uh, what was it like shooting Messi and seeing him in person? Oh my God, that was I was like ten yards away from him at one point. I, that's I mean that's something I'll never forget. I was like even if he doesn't score, the fact that he's I could have reached out and. Is that your that shot was, on your Instagram? Um, yeah. So just just pregame when the teams came out and um, you know the captains shake hands, the the photogs are right there. Yeah, that's crazy. And so I'm just standing there. I was. I remember 
who was it? Real Madrid played Roma um, down at the Cotton Bowl. And I was, I could have sat down right next to Ronaldo. It's just players like those. I always, I always talk a big game about how from working in sports for so long, you, you kind of realize that athletes are just, they're just people. So I don't really usually get too starstruck. Yeah. Um, but Ronaldo and Messi, I, if I would have had to speak to them, it, I don't think it would have been English. It would have been just gibberish. Well, I, I, don't, I don't think people really understand that don't pay attention to soccer how big these guys are. I mean, it is. Right. Inc- they're, they're, they're hands down, no question, the biggest athletes in the world, period. Mm-hmm. Like, no, what is it like? Chris, uh, Ronaldo has like, uh, so, like so many more followers than basically any other athlete on Instagram. It's like incredible. It's not even close. It is incredible. And it's, I mean, it's global. It's not just one country, yeah, which exactly. is even crazier. Yeah. So it's, it's like just encouragement for anybody that listens to this podcast that does not pay attention to soccer and some of these athletes for, for just from a pure branding perspective, you should definitely look at these people because they are on a massive stage. Just go Google Messi and you'll be distracted for the next five hours. Yeah. That's just how crazy, crazy he, good he is. My son wears messy indoor shoes. We have an indoor game tomorrow and he's, he's got messy indoor uh, uh, Adidas um, indoor turf. I may boots. or may not have bought those too. <laughs> is it the baby blue ones? <laughs> I think these are like lime green. Oh yeah, see his buddy has those. Those are the actual indoor ones. I probably look like that girl. Like, oh, she thinks she's like messy when in reality it was like the day before our game and I was like, I just need a pair of shoes. Uh, I would, I love shoes. I would buy like the coolest, like I see these football boots coming out and I'm always like, man, I want those, but I don't play so it doesn't matter. Especially since like basketball and soccer are my favorite sports. Um, like, uh, I recently bought these Kobe sneakers that are uh, a mix between like the black Mamba sneakers and the Nike Mamba mm-hmm. or the Nike Mercurials. And it's literally like, they call it the Mamba Curial. And so it's like literally like a low top That's basketball awesome. sneaker mixed with an indoor soccer shoe. And then also uh, Neymar is the first soccer player ever to wear the Jumpman logo. So he has like oh, some yeah. Jordan boots, which those are just- were, Those were, those shoes I would probably call beautiful. I don't think I would ever use beautiful to describe a shoe. But when those came out, those were amazing. Yeah, I actually have the Jordan 5s, like the actual sort of street sneaker, uh, the uh, the Mm -hmm. Neymar ones. But I would love to get the boots, but they are like 350 bucks or something crazy. (laughs) And I'm like, I don't play soccer. I'm not going to get those and just muddy them up coaching my kids outside. (laughs) Oh, no, a couple of years ago at a photo shoot, I think, it's when Adam Moffat was was on FC Dallas. And the shoes that he was sent were too small and... He just takes them off and goes, does anybody want these? Wow. And I was just like, That's I think incredible. they were a, a guy's size 10, so they would fit me perfectly. Yeah. Um, I call them the, the Moffat Rockets. I still have them. <laughs> I like don't want to, nice. I think I've worn them like twice, but I don't want to mess them up. Yeah. I have, uh, I know you're a Cardinals fan and uh, I'm Matt Carpenter's my first cousin. Um, no way. I th- actually, I think I remember you, you posted something, a photo with him and I, I liked it so fast. I was like, "Oh my god!" Yeah, gosh. he's so his his dad or his uh, his mom is my dad's sister, and they actually his parents went to school here in Kentucky, and then basically they moved they moved to Texas right after college graduation, and they they've been there the whole time. So that's where he grew up there and played baseball there and that type of thing. Uh, his dad is like a state champion. He's like in the Hall of Fame, and I think in Texas baseball, or he will be. They just named a stadium after him. I know he played at TCU. I had a bunch of friends yep. at at Dallas that 
they weren't, they're not big baseball fans. So they always, they root for quote unquote the Cardinals, but they root for Matt Carpenter because they yeah. went to TCU as well. Right. I have, uh, it's pretty tough around here because uh, this is Cincinnati Reds territory and we basically hate the Cardinals. Um, yeah. And so, like, all of our family I think members the feeling's here. mutual, though, so <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> uh, but, you know, like, when, when, when Carp's in town, I mean, it's like, you know, I, I, wore, I wore neutral um, to that game, but my dad just straight up threw on St. Louis Cardinals. He was like, I, that's, that's my nephew. I don't care. <laughs> that's awesome. Your dad is awesome. But I was going to say, actually, I have a pair of his cleats, and they're custom Nike, because I designed his logo, the Carp 13 logo. And uh, I didn't know that. That's sweet. Yeah, yeah. And so it's kind of a kind of a weird story. Like, I designed his logo, and uh, and then Nike Baseball was going to create something custom for him, and he basically wanted to use that, and Nike was like, yeah, we love it. So they ended up using it. Um, that's awesome so I have a pair of his cleats and it was so so weird when I went to go he was like meet me here after the game and they lost that day so he's you know they, they're they're professionals like he this is his job I mean he takes it seriously right. like he, he'll come over and talk to us but he's like he's out there like you know with batting batting practice and warming up and stuff like he's not mm-hmm. trying to come over here and be buddy buddy <laughs> But he came out and handed me the the shoes, and people were looking at me like, "Who is that guy?" And I'm just like walking around That's with awesome. these shoes. <laughs> How do I get to know that guy? <laughs> yeah. Oh, but it was funny. Well, listen, Olivia, I appreciate you coming on. Um, your work over there, well, your work at FC Dallas and Kansas City has been great. So don't ever leave the beautiful game for another sport. Just promise us that. Thank you, thank you. I will. As of right now, uh, soccer is my sport. I've heard some horror stories from. Hockey and baseball and all those games. Uh, there'd be no way I could work in baseball. There's way too many games. <laughs> no. I could not no, do that. No, soccer, I'm here to stay. <laughs> nice. Well, listen, where can folks reach out to you and support your work online and, and that type of thing? Uh, I, on Twitter and Instagram and I believe Behance. I think it's just Olivia Brestel. Awesome. All lowercase. Awesome. Well, appreciate it and best of luck uh, in the 2017 season. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Olivia. My next guest is going to be Ricardo Crespo. You've heard the name many times on this podcast and can even hear him directly in a panel I moderated for MLC Connect in 2015, which is episode 45. Ricardo is probably best described as a creative ninja. You actually won't find much about him online because he prefers to keep it that way, but he has been worldwide chief creative of the toy company Mattel He's been Senior Vice President and Global Creative Officer of 20th Century Fox, where he worked on the movie Avatar and many others. He's also been a creative at iconic advertising agencies like McCann Erickson, Saatchi and Saatchi, and Shiat Day. Currently, Ricardo consults independently with major brands, including Nike, where he has direct access to CEO Mark Parker and their Innovation Kitchen, working on some pretty secretive projects. Ricardo is a true treasure for the creative industry, and he is armed with incredible insight on the matters of creative business and selling your ideas. So that's going to be a really good one. Big thanks again to Olivia Brestel for taking time to come aboard the podcast. As she mentioned, you can follow her on Twitter and check out her awesome photography on Instagram and then also her portfolio. And all of those handles are Olivia Brestel. And that is O-L-I-V-I-A-B-R-E-S-T-A-L. And that'll also be in a link in the show notes. If you're interested in hearing more Makers of Sport podcast episodes, then head over to makersofsport.com slash episodes to check out previous interviews or listen to the original halftime episodes where I discuss business, entrepreneurship, and freelance in the sports industry. 
As mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, halftime episodes since episode 65 have been available to paid community members only. If you want to support the podcast, you can by joining the community at makersofsport.com slash community where you'll get those halftime episodes and their transcriptions. However, regarding future halftimes, I'm going to be discontinuing them indefinitely. I've discussed this with my community and spilled my heart out to them, some of the members regarding halftimes, their value to them and myself. And I've deeply taken into account where I stand with making them when it comes to my passion. I've just lost passion for making those. When I lose passion for something, I'm finished with it. I refuse to put out subpar work just for the sake of doing it. So a little backstory, since creating the first halftime, many other things have popped up. I started weekend reads. Uh, I've been writing much more there. Halftimes being 20 minutes of solo podcasting by yours truly are a ton of writing within themselves. So I eventually just reached a burnout and regretted having to sit down and make them. That burnout actually extended to this interview podcast, which has always been my first love. This is why you haven't seen much of me in the fall of 2016. That and I coached two soccer teams, which kept me insanely busy. I do still love to write and I will pick back up heavily this year, but halftimes, at least in their current format, are finished. And that's not to say that I won't use the term halftime in regards to episodes that don't have guests or other special episodes, but as far as me using them for solo content to share business advice, I'm pretty much finished with them. So without halftimes, what are the benefits of the community? Because they were a big part of the community with their transcripts and private episodes. Well, we'll continue to have private Q&As with future former and special guests. Those will always be recorded and in the community, no matter when you join. Uh, Google Hangouts will continue. We'll also interact, share feedback, and build relationships in the live chat. In addition, community members get an opportunity to take part in the high school project, another project that I've added since adding halftimes, which is a pro bono project that we are taking part in for underfunded high school athletic programs around the U.S. More on that particular initiative can be found in episode 25 called Donating Your Creativity. So I'll let you check that out to hear more on that particular uh, initiative if you're interested. All community content is recorded and available anytime you join, including those private Q&As. I'm also working on some new initiatives with a new written feature called A Timeout With, which will be a short Q&A with guests uh, showcasing community members on Medium and in the Makers of Sport newsletter. A ton of bright things will be happening for the future of the community. Things are changing uh, and changing for the good. Not to mention the Snapchat takeovers have been showcasing community members, so that is another benefit. So far, we've had Megan Majera of the Indianapolis Colts, Ashley Strauss of the Tennessee Titans, John Willie of the Miami Dolphins, Alina Rogers of University of Utah Basketball, and Matt Lang of University of Alabama Football take over the account. More of those will come. Uh, they're a great opportunity to look into the day-to-day of working creatives in the sports industry. So be sure to add Makers of Sport on Snapchat to see more stories from creative Makers of Sport communities that work in-house. 
I do want to reiterate that this podcast will always be listener supported and not sponsor supported. You'll never hear ads on this show or have to hit the 30 second skip button in your podcast uh, to speed through sponsors. I would actually rather lose money than lose the integrity of the show to satisfying some advertiser. I don't do any of this for money in the first place. In fact, I didn't even ask for a dime for two years before launching the community. So if you get value from the content coming from this podcast and its outlets in social media, email newsletters, or other areas, then I ask it that you please consider supporting the show fiscally by voting with your hard-earned dollars and joining that community. In exchange for that fiscal support, there will always be ever-changing premium content and a network of like-minded, professional, business-savvy creatives in the sports industry ready for you to interact with. Also, direct access to me if you have questions uh, and need some consulting advice or me to look at certain things like proposals or anything like that. In regards to the newsletter, you can get podcast show notes delivered directly to your inbox as well as receive weekend reads, a weekly newsletter where I write exclusive content and share the things that I'm reading. Those will essentially take the place of half times. Uh, I write about things that are inspiring to me or things that I find interesting. In addition, on that list, you'll be notified in advance of upcoming guests. Makersofsport.com slash email will take you to a form where you can enter your email address and stay in touch with the happenings of the podcast and its future. Lastly, please take one to two minutes and head over to makersofsport.com slash iTunes, hit the five star and write about your experience with the show, especially those of you that don't support the show fiscally. All support matters. I promise you all support retweets, likes, favorites, reviews, and especially joining the community. If you have gotten value for myself or any of the guests on the show, then please rate the podcast so others can discover that value for themselves as well. As always, I'll accept likes or ratings on Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whichever podcast app you love to listen in. I'm at T. Adam Martin on all social media, including Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, and pretty much everywhere else on the interwebs. The show is at Makers of Sport. Until next time, have a good week and a great 2017. Thank you.